Welcome back, listeners. Here at the Queer Q, today we'll be talking about Jamie Babbitt's But I'm a Cheerleader. I'm a cheerleader! I'm not like all of you. Everyone reads Cosmo. Everyone looks at other girls all the time. But you only assume that they're thinking what you're thinking when they look. But they're not. But I'm a Cheerleader stars Natasha Lyonne as Megan, a cheerleader who fantasizes about her cheerleading friends while making out with her boyfriend and listens to Melissa Etheridge. It's clear to everyone in Megan's life that she's a lesbian, everyone except Megan herself. After a staged intervention, Megan is sent to a gay conversion camp, True Directions, run by the no-nonsense Mary, played by Kathy Moriarty. At True Directions, Megan meets Graham, played by Clea Duvall, and sparks fly. What unfurls during this breezy, satirical film is a romance for the queer film ages, resulting in one of the most romantic cheerleading sequences of all time. Babbitt's concept originated from her reading an article about a man's gay conversion camp experience, as well as her own experience with her mother running a halfway house for addicts. Babbitt collaborated with her girlfriend at the time to create But I'm a Cheerleader, and focused on Megan being a cheerleader due to cheerleaders being considered the epitome of American femininity and heteronormative ideals. What Babbitt was looking to do is criticize gender roles and heteronormativity, and she crafted the production design and costuming to reflect this artificiality of gender constructs, as well as the sanitation of queer representation. But yeah, I'd love to know, what are your general thoughts about Mm -hmm. But I'm a Cheerleader? Well, I definitely love it. I think Babbitt does a great job in making a satirical comedy and cr- criticizing the heteronormative and stereotypical constructs. But I'm che- a cheerleader is still one of those classics that you have to watch. Again, you know, you have characters like um, RuPaul and you have Clea Duvall. Um, you have Clea Duvall, who was also in another one of my favorite films, uh, Girl Interrupted with Angelina Jolie and Winona Ryder. Um, yes. And then, you know, you have Natasha, you know, who was in... Uh, what is it called? Is it Russian Doll and uh, Orange is New Black? Uh-huh. And, you know, they're both the stars in this films. And, you know, you'll see Claire Duvall and Natasha collaborating on a lot of um, future movies. I think there was another Claire Duvall movie that came out like a few years ago. I think it was The Intervention um, uh-huh. where Natasha was in it again. I think they played lovers again, you know, and so it's just like having I, I feel like But I'm Cheerleader is so great because it feels like it was it wasn't the start of it because, you know, I think go fish was um you know the start of queer um woman and film like kind of really splurging out there but i definitely think that but i'm a cheerleader kind of brought in that camp aesthetics kind of reclaimed this kind of comedy um scene um to a queer woman you know it that's how i saw it and that's why i love it um because of this kind of free rom-com aspect to it you know and I, I I personally think I personally miss these type of films today because, you know, there's a lot of great queer movies today. Um, they're very cinematic. They're um, the writing is phenomenal. But I personally kind of miss films like But I'm a Cheerleader. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if you feel the same way about that, Nick. No. Yeah, no, I completely do. You know, that's the element of this film that makes it so great. And it's something that we don't get in a lot of mainstream films today you know it's really hard to find that specifically for queer women 
And it's something where, you know, it's, it's deserved, you know, honestly, it's like how many, you know, sad period pieces do queer women have to get before they get Mm -hmm. something that's actually enjoyable? You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. this was 20 years ago. And, you know, this type of comedy that we see in films where the representation of queer identity is queer women, we, we don't get that, you know, like, gosh, we see it more on television. Like, you know, the mm-hmm. Dear Departed, Orange is the New Black is the best example I can think of. And even that had to dive deeper into drama, which was, I thought was a really good choice on their mm-hmm. part, but it did take away some of the, the comedic elements that we find in queer women's storylines. But yeah, we, we just don't get that. Mm-hmm. We don't. Yeah. And, you know, like we're going to be talking about this movie and like hopefully um, most of the listeners have already um, watched it and will enjoy what we'll be, what we're going to be talking about. And if not, please just stop this podcast, put on pause and go watch it because I think it's such a treat yes. to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love this film if that hasn't come across already. Um, it was probably one of the most formative queer films that really helped me understand and shape my queer identity. Um I've seen this film more than probably any other queer film that I've watched. And, you know, it's for good reason. You know, Natasha Leone and Cleo Duvall, they make one of the cutest pairings in film history due to their chemistry and shared queer identity. And they're fabulous in The Intervention, which was directed by Cleo Duvall. Absolutely love the collaboration. And... It's a romantic comedy within a satire. It offers funny and incisive commentary on gender roles, gender itself, and sexuality. And it's one of the first prominent portrayals of gay conversion camps that honestly doesn't Mm -hmm. make you sad and infuriate you. It's the first one that I can think of where conversion therapy actually helped the closeted protagonists recognize their queer identity and accept it. And Leon's character, she goes from confusion to a love-filled, independent, strong woman. And you just love to see it. I love the nods to John Waters with the campy aesthetic and the inclusion of Mink Stoll as Megan's mother. And I love Kathy Moriarty. She grounds the film, even while being this hilarious deluded character regarding her son and sexuality and gender roles and i could go on i could go on but i'd have to say it's one of if not the most favorite queer films of mine Mm -hmm. definitely agree also definitely agree with kathy moriarty uh but going on to the opening credits i'm starting to break down the movie um opening credits starts off you know with these cheerleaders um and they're like doing aerial jumps in the in the air, in the sky. And, you know, like we're kind of just establishing, you know, that uh, Megan uh, is a cheerleader and she really loves cheerleading. Um, she's this stereotypical blonde uh, cheerleader dating a quarterback, right? So we cut to a scene where, um, you know, Megan is making out with her boyfriend, Jared, in the car and she's just stiff. Her eyes are wide open, kind of blank and bored as he probes you know and it's all it's like the slobbering mess and Ugh, it's this yeah. awkward makeout session that goes on and the scene is also intercutted with shots of cheerleaders jumping in the air as well and you can just i think um you're supposed to make that assumption this is where um megan's character what she's thinking of as she's as her boyfriend is just assaulting her mouth 
I was joking with my mom about this because we were watching this film mm-hmm. together. And I was like, it's not even that she's a lesbian. It's just, he is the most disgusting yeah. kisser. It's like, sometimes you can easily fake yeah. it, you know, when you're in the closet, but that is just brutal, yeah. completely brutal. And I, I think the um, exaggeration was the point, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. It's like, okay, we can understand exactly, you know, her need to fantasize it's it really helps us understand that she is you know definitely questioning her sexuality and that she is thinking about something to try and get her into the mood because she knows that she's supposed to be aroused when they're making out and Mm -hmm. it's it's just not working and the only way that she can escape is to think about who she actually is attracted to um but i think what I really liked about the credits, you know, of course we could view it as objectification with the focus on the Mm -hmm. breasts, the backsides, the pubic area with these shots of these girls as cheerleaders. And I think it was a very clever way to open this film because I really feel like it's, um, I'm trying to think of the right, the right word to say i i think it's you know a nice red herring that's what i wanted Mm -hmm. to say it's a red herring very misleading where people going into this film who might not know about it you know are expecting you know to see a film about you know busty cheerleaders and you know it's going to be you know something for the male gaze Mm -hmm. you know and it's not you know it's it's not that at all of course and I think it also preys on our expectation of objectifying women and their roles as sexual objects. And I just thought it was a very clever way for her to introduce the audience into this world, into the themes of this film. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. I also saw it as like, you know, another way to make a a kind of Babbitt saying how, uh, you know, how like this uh, stereotype where the cheerleader is represents, you know, this heteronormative um, woman, right? Um, this uh, woman, this straight uh, cis woman. And I, I also saw it as a way where she was queering that stereotype uh-huh. or like kind of in a way like reclaiming it, you know, um, because we find out um, as we move on to the next scene, you know, we establish that uh, Megan is his uh, white mm-hmm. Christian 17 year old girl who loves cheerleading, has pictures of girls in her locker, a poster of Melissa Etheridge um, and is a vegetarian and, you know, um, that whole like intercutting of the scene, you know, I think it was kind of like uh, rejecting that stereotype. And we see this later on when, mm-hmm. you know, um, she's passing this bus um, as she's uh, going to conversion therapy camp and you see all her cheerleader friends um, in the bus. And to me, it was like it was kind of like these two paths diverging at this point. But then, you know, in the end, they'll come together. But, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, so this is like there's this scene where um, her boyfriend's like taking her back home and they're like staging this intervention. And we have RuPaul who's playing this character out of drag and mm-hmm. he's leading this intervention. And yeah, they're talking about the Melissa Etheridge poster uh-huh. and how she wants them to eat tofu. And um, <laughs> there's something that you had mentioned before about how you know, this was such a great commentary on how mainstream heteronormative society others queer identity Mm -hmm. about how, you know, she's 
very solitary on this big couch alone in the middle and everybody's just staring at her like this creature you know Mm -hmm. you have michelle williams and a cameo role and you know love michelle williams Mm -hmm. and she plays like her best friend and just the way her and those like twin cheerleaders look at her Mm -hmm. you know it's just you know it's like oh you know i remember being looked at that way and you know it's just that in the situation they're othering her and Mm -hmm. i really i really like the way that you had put that Mm -hmm. um and i really hope i really wish that she could have taken that georgia o'keefe vaginal representation (laughs) pillow with her because it looked really big and comfy and Mm. i would love to rest with that (laughs) yeah same same um yeah I, i absolutely love how that shot was set up you know um you definitely have her isolated and again, you know, uh, the whole point is because, um, they're playing on all these stereotypes, you know, um, you, you hear it today. It's joked about today. It's like, Oh, you're, you're vegan or vegetarian. Are you, are you queer? It's a stupid, Uh it's a stupid stereotype, but you know, it's, it's been around and, you know, it's definitely played up in, um, in, but I'm a cheerleader as well, you know, but again, we see, uh, Babbitt poking at it. Right. And so because of all these assumptions and stereotypes that, you know, that's flittering around in mainstream media, which is why it makes her family and her friends say, okay, we're, you're going to get help now. You know, you have this unnatural way of thinking, um, which, you know, I hate um, when people say that, but you know, that's what people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, still see um, queer people as they see them as unnatural. Right. And so, you know, they're like, um, you need help. You need to um, go back to, a natural mind and be cured and you know so they take her to the camp true directions and i don't know why when i heard true directions this time around i immediately thought of new directions and i don't know why i started thinking of glee and i'm like huh did glee kind of like take from (laughs) but i'm a cheerleader but i I don't know (laughs) (laughs) okay you want to know what's so funny so when i was writing my notes for this i accidentally put new directions because i was (laughs) in I was just like subconsciously thinking about Glee and Mm -hmm. fun fact, the name. So she came up with true directions because the name of her mom's halfway house was called new directions. Isn't that interesting? That is so interesting. Yeah. Ryan Murphy. I know. Did you you take it from Jamie Beckett? I know. I think so. (laughs) Um, you know, that makes it all more interesting now. Um, but you know, we move on to the next scene where Megan is at True Directions and, you know, it's a conversion therapy camp to heal the gay. Um, and to me, um, I really saw it. Um, I think Babbitt was really trying to make it be a prison. I I never really read up on it. Um, if it's actually like this in conversion Mm -hmm. therapy camp, but you know, like, um, the way, um, when Kathy Moriarty's character comes in, Mary, um, she, you know, she's sitting in front of her and then she, she takes away her civvy clothes, her civilian clothes and says, you'll get this back when you graduate, you know, or like when you leave this prison. Um, but yeah, I, I saw it as a, um, a prison or like a military boot camp. And so essentially what true directions, it's a two month stay um, with a five-step plan, which we'll be breaking down um, later on, um, to help homosexuals on the right path to being um, heterosexual. And, yeah. I know, we get some really fun little inner titles every time we get to a step. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, you know, I, I really do see the, the correlation between that and a prison because, you know, there, that is basically what it is. It's not like they have a choice. They are not allowed to leave or else they're shunned and kicked mm-hmm. out and they're, you know, older teenagers, but they're teenagers and, you know, they're forced to be there and, you know, all of their identity is stripped away. But I also saw it more as a type of like army type of correlation, mm-hmm. you know, like the civvy, you, like the civvy clothes are taken away, they're put into a uniform mm-hmm. and it's very militant the way that she runs that place. And, you know, a lot of the orders that she says, you know, are like, you know, very reminiscent of what someone would go through in like basic training. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she's really preparing them for battle and, you know, it's, it's the wrong, the wrong side of the battle for these kids. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how I saw it. And, um, you know, either way, they're both negative. Like, yeah. obviously a prison is negative. They have no choice. They're, they're stuck there and they can't do anything about it. But, you know, there's obviously nothing wrong with going into the military, but, what the war that they're being prepared to fight is the issue here. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I saw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Because they're supposed to be fighting, you know, their own queer identity. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And other queers. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think something that's really important for us to discuss when we're introduced to true directions is just the absolutely perfect um, set design, you know, this Mm -hmm. type of um, production, that we have here and you know we have fake flowers that we see mary you know sanitizing she's spraying them and wiping them down and sanitizing them you know there's a fake fire like fire pit campfire that we see later on in the film when you know the kids are working together and you know discussing gender roles and you know, everything is either pink or blue or purple. And we have the pink Mm -hmm. and the purple that's relegated to the girls, the blue to the boys, Mm -hmm. but everything is just so fake. Everything is so sanitized. It's very superficial. Mm -hmm. Even the beds are covered in like, you know, mattress protectors and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And, you know, I think, you know, from a lot of our discussion, this set design is you know babbitt's direction on visualizing how artificial you know the the gender construct is and how we relegate gender identity to colors and how you know important Mm -hmm. that's become Mm -hmm. and you know how you know damaging it is but you know what i found the most interesting and i really wanted your opinion on is you know, what, what's with like these mattress protectors? Like why can't these kids, you know, sleep Mm -hmm. on the beds as they are? Mm -hmm. And why is she constantly sanitizing everything obsessively, Mm -hmm. you know, with those fake flowers, you know, just constantly, you know, wiping stuff down. Mm -hmm. And I read something about it, Mm -hmm. but I really wanted your interpretation on why Kathy does all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think she does that because she's disgusted. I mean, she's the leader Uh of the conversion therapy camp. Her son, um, Rock, is, you know, he's a queer man. Um, And, you know, based off her other dialogues further on, 
um, down the line in the movie is she's very homophobic. And I felt like the reason why she's sanitizing, why she's putting covers on it is because she, you know, she sees as, you know, all these kids, these queer kids who she's supposed to heal. Um, she sees them as these dirty, um, unnatural things that need to be cleansed. So that's, that, yeah. that's my take on that. What Babbitt said about, you know, creating this character and her obsessive cleaning, you know, it's exactly what you're saying. Like, that makes perfect sense, you know, reading into it. It's like, these are, you know, kids that need to be sanitized and brought back to this ideal version. And she can't stand that, you know, that they're queer. And something that she had stated Babbitt did when creating these little like nuances to Kathy Moriarty's character is that there was an AIDS fear as well. You know, it's supposed to be some type of representation for how mainstream society, a mainstream heteronormative society treated AIDS as well, which I thought was very interesting. That is interesting. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen it that way. No, like, I think that's like the most extreme interpretation of it. But mm-hmm. I think if it's right in line with, you know, how she views these teenagers. Mm-hmm. But then we move on to step one, which I love to call the I'm a homo scene. Uh, it's also funny because they call this a homosexual anonymous. And mm-hmm. I really you can really feel that being emulated in the scene of step one admitting you're a homosexual just because, you know, you have them all sitting down and they're all surrounded and, you know, Megan is just sitting in the chair and, you know, she has to do this first step of admitting she's a homosexual. It's kind of like when you go to AA or anything, you have to, you, you have to admit you're an alcoholic. You know, that's the first step. If you acknowledge the problem, then you, um, then you can help fix yourself. You can cure that, um, addiction. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's drawing this, um, comparison to, um, being queer as this problem, this addiction that needs to be um, taken away, that needs to be controlled and put away, right? Um, again, you can you, you can see the wit that a Babbitt is like putting into this point by just making those comparisons, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, we see the rest of the camp members uh, in True Directions. I did not know Dante Bosco was in this. I don't know why I didn't remember that Dante Bosco was in this. But when I was watching it again today, I was like, oh, my God, it's Dante Bosco. It's Zuko. <laughs> you know, it's it's Rufio. And I was just so excited uh-huh. when I saw him. And to even see him playing a, a queer character, I was like, yes, Dante Bosco. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to rave about Dante Bosco too much. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in this scene, we have, you know, uh, we have everyone saying, um, Megan, you, you, you need to admit um, that you're a homosexual. And Megan is disagreeing with all these thoughts and or all these assumptions about her. And then, like, she makes a point out where she says, you know, all these girls read Cosmo and we see pictures of women and um, we're looking at women. That doesn't make us all lesbians, you know. And then, um, you know, and then you have one member who says it's because you're not thinking about those images the same way other girls are. Right. And then we have Megan having this whole entire revelation. She's like, they don't, not all girls think about girls this way. And you know, there's this montage cut scene, you know, of like, I think two cheerleaders are like, you hug us way too much. And then, you know, and then you have like this, uh, 
point of view shot of her boyfriend like sticking out his tongue right and it was like oh it's like it's like wow it's like i really am a lesbian i'm a homosexual and you know she has this hysterical breakdown as she says it i'm a homo right and Mm-hmm. it it's it's funny because then everyone's like clapping like you know like when you're if, if you spin to or if you know anything about AA meetings or whatever um everyone's clapping it's like congratulations you've just admitted it and then you see Cleo Duvall's character um kind of rolls her, her eyes and walks away you know because it's like really yeah she's like oh great she's mm-hmm. starting to drink the kool-aid you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we get into the next step which is step two, rediscovering your gender identity. Um, and in this step and um, within this scene, we get a lot of montages of, you know, of the woman cleaning, um, changing um, diapers out of like these baby dolls. And, you know, we have um, Mike taking the guys who are like cutting logs, playing football, um, playing with BB guns. Was it BB guns or paintball guns? I don't know. Um, but, you know, uh-huh. all these, like, kind of masculine things and all these, like, basically, you know, this camp is teaching them, you know, these are what your your gender does. You know, this is what society sees um, your gender as and what you're supposed to do and to be a man, to be a woman. You know, again, <laughs> you know, Babbitt is really kind of critiquing these stereotypes again. And like you mentioned earlier, Nick, you know, they're mm-hmm. wearing all the guys are wearing blue and all the girls are wearing pink. And, you know, um, you know, Mike is wearing blue and then Mary is wearing this like kind of this pink uniform. And she has like a um, heterosexual couple pinned onto her blazer, too. You know, we're mm-hmm. the, the, the scene really is emphasizing these gender roles and like this heterosexual mentality that they really want for um, these kids to have. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like we see that these are the activities. These are the things that you have to do to be a man, to be a man or a woman in heteronormative society. And, you know, it's just really calling out the perception of mainstream heteronormative society for believing that, you know, this is this is the only way one can be a man this is the only way one can be a woman and i love the commentary on it mm-hmm. and then i think what well, the funny part is the next scene where um graham holds up a card to megan and says what do you see and you know instead of like these 1950s images that we were seeing before it's just um the body's replaced by a naked woman that graham like taped on right and then she zaps megan and she says you have to be prepared for temptation, right? They had this sort of um, shocking device um, that's introduced early where it's like you have to shock yourself. It's like a version therapy. Mm-hmm. You shock yourself if you um, are feeling pleasure or if you're tempted to look or whatever. And to me, I thought it was a really cheeky scene where um, Graham did that. And mm-hmm. I thought it was like kind of saying like, you know, your temptation is always with you because, you know, you're queer, you're gay. It's who you are. And it's like, it's not something you can shock away you know i i thought that's what it was trying to say in that scene and i thought it was funny i agree yeah it's like things like that don't work like aversion therapy you know Mm -hmm. they're using cattle prods here and you know we know that aversion therapy it doesn't work you know you can't force yourself to be sick you know to Mm -hmm. get rid of attraction you know it's like Mm -hmm. if you have some type of pavlovian response to your sex drive then you know you're going to be 
messed up for the rest of your life. You know, it's, it's not right. And it's not something that is a cure. And I think the best commentary that, um, I see that you have here is that, you know, we have Sinead, um, Sinead, sorry, Sinead. And, mm-hmm. you know, she is interested in, you know, eroticism and pain. And so she's continuously zapping herself, but mm-hmm. she enjoys it. She enjoys the, you know, the type of painful pleasure intersection that comes from it. So we see that things like this don't work because we know that they don't work, but also it actually might be encouraging people, you know, if they're into it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, and then, you know, we get into, you know, we have this really satirical um, and really funny scenes between Graham, Megan, and uh, Sinead. Um, but then we get into a little bit more of a serious part of the film, in my opinion, um, where we kind of talk about finding the root. And so, like, in this section of, like, finding the root, part of step two is, like, it's kind of like finding the root cause of where your queer, where your, your queer sexual awakening was, right? You know, Cleo Duvall, um, her character says, I saw my mom getting married in a pants. And then Andre's character, who, you know, I love in this film, um, he says he doesn't know his root. And I think what Babbitt is um, really trying to say in this section is that, you know, there's not really a root or a defining moment that makes you gay. You kind of just are, and it's a part of you. And I think we see that specifically through Andre um, in this film, and that you can't just... Mm-hmm. You know, you can't find a sole cause or sole reason that you're gay. You kind of just are. It's like you're born this way. And it's also, it's like you can't you can't make it go away by finding that route. You know, I think that's um what that commentary was in that scene. And then, you know, then, you know, moving on to the finding the route, because the whole point was finding the route because you had to relay it back to the family therapy scene, right? Which is step three, the family therapy scene. Um, and then we have mm-hmm. all the parents coming and you have all the kids talking about what their root was. Um, and I don't know if you want to go jump on into that Nick and say anything that I missed. Yeah, no, I um, completely agree with that as the commentary for when they were, you know, explaining what their root was, you know, and how she said that she saw her mom getting married in pants and how mm-hmm. Sinead said that she was born in France and that oh, was yeah. the reason why. <laughs> And, um, yeah, Hillary was talking about how she went to an all-girls boarding school. And, you know, it's just like all of these responses, you know, they have nothing to do with, you know, sexuality. And I, it's just so funny because, you know, they're so pointedly, you know, different than, you know, just this is my identity. You know, like a lot of the reasons for why people believe someone is gay because of, you know, their, the environment that they grew up in that, you know, has queer, you know, representation or, you know, God forbid sexual abuse. A lot of people have used that excuse when discussing why someone is queer, you know, and it's like, I love that this was a cheeky commentary on these excuses. And so they just have these like really uh, like insane explanations it's like just because you're born in France doesn't mean Mm. you're queer and so that's what makes it so funny is because you know she's talking about how you know there's always the this excuse and you know that's that's not the case people 
are born gay, you know, that's part of who they are, how, you know, who they are as a person when they're born. And, you know, like what you were saying, and she's just really pointing out all of these lame excuses that people use to justify why queer identity is abnormal. Mm-hmm. Um, and but yeah, and then we get into the the family therapy scene. Yeah, uh, yeah, especially because um, in the first root scene without the parents, we uh, have Megan who doesn't know her root either, right? But then mm-hmm. when we get to the family therapy scene, we do have her revealing her root. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying too earlier, Nick, because she says, you know, I guess it could have been the time where, you know, my dad lost his job. And so then my mom had to take a more like active role as a mom and the dad. So I guess I got confused about the role of woman. And, you know, you have Mary who's like, yes, yes, she became this domineering person. And she became, you know, like, this is how you saw yourself to be. This is why you became gay. Good for you, Megan. And then you have like Megan just shaking her head. No, I don't think that's how it is. No, I don't think that's a reason I did not see it that way. You know, but you just have um, Mary clapping and applauding her for making such a, you know, breakthrough, you know, um, you know, we learned that Graham's parents is very, very toxic, very um, homophobic and the way they slur derogatory terms um, and the way, you know, they how they threaten Graham. That's like, if you don't graduate, if you don't get yourself fixed, you know, you can't come back home and we're taking your trust fund. You know, it, it just it was a very negative scene that kind of brought up some bad memories for me. Yeah, no, you know, I felt the same way. It, it was a really hard scene to watch. And, you know, I think the reason why it, it was really hard, you know, not from not just from our own personal experiences, but, you know, so far this film has been very light considering, you know, the subject matter of gay conversion. And it's been satirical and funny. But this scene doesn't have those elements. It's serious. You know, there's no humor in it. We have, you know, slurs that are being used and it's very aggressive and angry. And there's, there's nothing funny about the scene. And I I really believe that it was purposeful, you know, that Mm -hmm. it was supposed to be this way that it was, you know, we have all of this, all of this comedy leading up to this because, you know, we need a reminder that this, the subject matter, that gay conversion, that it's something that is serious. You know, we need to remember that although this is a a satirical comedy, that there are real issues that Mm -hmm. are in play that are being discussed in this film and that we should be outraged by what's going on in this scene because it's not right. You know, Mm -hmm. this is not how families should be talking to each other. They shouldn't be talking about other people who are going through this experience as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, there's, it's so wrong on so many levels and it's supposed to make us feel angry and upset watching Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I definitely, and I think this is, you know, it's, it's, it's like the opposite of P flag, you know, like this is where all the parents kind of group together and, you know, shared their thoughts and their toxic mindset but then you know we see because of the interaction between Graham and her parents we see I think this is kind of the beginning where we see Megan and Graham getting closer to each other 
Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, we can see that Megan sees behind this kind of hard exterior that Graham puts up this, you know, this person who, you know, isn't taking this seriously and, you know, someone who's just going through the motions because they don't believe with what's going on. And up until this point, you know, Megan, she's going along with it. She thinks that this is right, you know, Mm -hmm. because she, she doesn't know better. And this is what everyone's been telling her. And she finally sees that, you know, that um, Graham has it, you know, just as hard, you know, that her, her experience is a lot worse and that, you know, there is this, you know, very sensitive and, you know, scared interior behind. And you can tell that, you know, Megan realizes that she, you know, that she wants to help her, you know, that she wants to be there as support because, you know, no one else there is going to do that. Mm -hmm. And Megan's going to take it upon herself to do that because, you know, she's, she's a good person. Mm -hmm. So it endears them to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, we see Graham opening up to her and telling her that, you know, the reason why she was sent there was because she was caught with another girl. And, you know, that's the reason why she's going through this whole conversion therapy experience. And, you know, she tells her, you know, it's like, there's nothing wrong with who I am. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, I got caught, you know, I'm in an environment that isn't supportive of who I am. Mm -hmm. And I just have to do what I can to make it by, you know, secure that bag because she's got a trust fund Mm -hmm. and, you know, be able to live a life, but she can't do that until she feels safe enough to do it on her own. And, you know, I think Megan really helps her understand that, you know, she's not alone, that they can, you know, do that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, because Megan is kind of seeing, you know, this kind of positive um, queer person in her life um, where I feel like she's slowly kind of starting to be OK with the way she's thinking, um, we get into the scene where she's masturbating, you know, she's like in this heat of the moment. Right. And then like, uh, then she hears ruffling and, you know, um, moaning. And so what happens is that she finds Dolph and Clayton, uh, fooling around with each other. And then she kind of takes 10 steps back from like that moment she had with Graham you know, and like she scream and she calls them disgusting and she kind of tattles on them. Right. And she gets them in trouble. She gets Dolph um, expelled and she gets Clayton sent to solitary. And so solitary, um, Mary just drags Clayton to this tiny house and shoves him in there. So that's what solitary is. Another um, dehumanizing um, set. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's kind of angry at Megan, you know, for doing this, because again, it's like, how could you sell us out, sell out one of your own? But then we get into step four, which is demystifying the opposite sex. And, um, you know, we get, again, we get more gender identity, more, um, gender role montages. Right. Um, I don't know why, but like the only thing I remember the most about this scene is, you know, they have, Mary's playing the slideshow of all these images of like a man and wife and like um there's this scene where they're in uh it's a kitchen it's a 1950s kitchen and um the wife's face is replaced with this face of 
a smiling woman and it just makes you assume that the image instead is like this negative and frowning woman um i just thought that was funny i don't know if you remember that scene i just remember i bursted out laughing on that scene no yeah no it's it's hilarious and it's it's a very short step you know step four is you know Mm -hmm. just one scene and we get more like gender identity montages after where we see you know the boys doing the heteronormative activities as well as the girls and um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's funny because it's like it's so forced you know that she couldn't even find a happy looking housewife from the 1950s that she had to recreate it and it's like what are the lengths people are willing to go to justify their beliefs when they have to make it up Mm -hmm. you know we we see a lot of parallels with that today and people with their you know political views um but you know, it's just, it's so funny in this situation because we know how messed up this is. And, you know, without her, you know, actually vocalizing it, she does prove it because she has to stitch together these pictures of what is supposed to be, you know, normal for that gender identity when, you know, that's not mm-hmm. necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, um, the most interesting part that comes after um, this step uh, before we get into like the final test and the step five is, you know, we get this scene where the, uh, well, first it goes to like Andre gets a flyer like thrown to him. And it's like, I think the flyer kind of reads like um, something like love for free, live for free, you know, and it has like a rainbow heart. And then so essentially they're sneaking out right um at night to go to this gay club called cocksucker with two xx gays larry and lloyd Uh um and i i don't know if you wanted to uh, talk more about this part yeah no so i absolutely love larry and lloyd you know the my gay dads there Mm -hmm. definitely um but yeah (laughs) they're there too because they um they mentioned that they used to be among mary's ranks and they defected and so now they want to provide counter-programming to what she's providing. And they're stating that, you know, they're helping people who are going through this process, you know, either accept their identity or, you know, live a lie and continue going through conversion therapy. And that they operate a safe haven um, for anyone who, you know, needs to leave that place, which, you know, is amazing. And, you know, they want to show them what life could be like if they accept their identity. And so they take them to the cocksucker. And um, we see the dynamics start to shift because up until this point, you know, we know that both Megan and Graham are interested in each other. They haven't made a move yet. But um, this woman comes up to Megan at the bar and first of all she's completely you know just freaked out being there she's like you took me to a gay bar and Graham's like well where else would we go and Mm -hmm. um so Megan's completely out of place doesn't know what to do but then this beautiful gorgeous woman named Julie Delpy any Julie Delpy fans out there you know she comes up to her and she's the one who is noted as the lipstick lesbian in the credits um she comes up to her offers Mm -hmm. her to dance and so Megan not really knowing what to do decides to do it and so they're dancing but then at the same time Sinead and 
wants to dance with Graham. And so they start dancing and you see Sinead is showing how interested she is in Graham and it makes Megan jealous. And so Megan runs off, goes outside and we have, um, we have Graham following after her and they have this little argument because Megan is frustrated. And so then Graham kisses her and you love it. You love to see it because, you know, this is, mm-hmm. you know, this first time that they actually get to act on their feelings. We finally get that queer kiss that we're, that we've been craving. Um, of course, you know, mm-hmm. Sinead comes out and she sees it also. And then that spells doom when we get further down the plot, but let's just focus on how great that kiss was and how much, you know, we've just been looking forward to it like halfway through this film. It's beautiful. It was beautiful. And you know what I love about, that kissing is like, you know, Graham's the one who initiates a kiss and then Megan pulls back and says, I'm not supposed to like you. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you, you think, you know, the first time watching, you think that Megan's just going to run away, uh-huh. you know, run down the alleyway and something bad will happen, leaving um, Graham to go back into the gay bar to go to the lipstick lesbian. Right. Uh-huh. Or, or some, or to Sinead. But then, you know, what I loved about it was that, we have Megan making that first move, you know, having control of making that first decision of accepting and embracing her queer identity. And that's what I loved about this. You know, it wasn't, it felt like it was more stronger to have her go back in and kiss Graham. And that's what I loved about that kiss. Mm-hmm. I know it was really confirming that, you know, mm-hmm. what you were saying that she's really accepting her identity, you know, at this point, it's like, she's mm-hmm. realizing that what they're doing there isn't something that's healthy for her and that she can actually feel confident about her attraction to this woman who reciprocates her feelings. And she's really able to have this first love that, you know, she's been missing, you know, it's such a wonderful juxtaposition to, what she experienced in that first <laughs> scene with her boyfriend and his nasty ass tongue. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's kind of like, it's that moment. I think most of us uh, queers have, it's like, Oh, so this is what you're supposed to feel when you kiss, yes. you know? Yeah. And so after this night at the cocksucker, you know, they sneak back to true directions and the next day they're doing some more type of work and therapy and we haven't touched on Jan yet. And this is a big scene for Jan and, um, Jan appears very butch and, um, you know, it's assumed that she's a lesbian. She's a butch lesbian. And, um, there's the scene with her and she just admits that she's straight. She's like, I like men, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to be with men. I'm not a lesbian. And, you know, I know that you have one interpretation of that and I have another. And so Mm -hmm. I definitely want our listeners to know, like, you know, your thoughts on this scene. Mm -hmm. I definitely think again, like with Jan saying I'm straight, it's really, again, uh, Babbitt kind of attacking you know society's assumption and stereotypes of what is what what looks gay what's what what does a homosexual look like right you know because jan kind of the way she's 
dressed and stylized in, in this film, she's seen as more butch, right? And, you know, it to further mm-hmm. um, emphasize this, you know, Jan says, you know, everyone thinks I'm a, a lesbian. I think I'm gay just because, you know, I like to play softball. And, you know, that's the biggest trope of all of you play softball, then you're queer um, for some oh, reason. Yeah. I never knew where that came from. Um, but, you know, and like, she's like, it's because I wear softball and because I wear baggy clothes and because I don't, maybe I don't look as pretty like other girls. Right. Um, but like overall to me, this scene just kind of, again, was kind of emphasizing, you know, the stereotypes of what looks like a lesbian and not to like play into that, you know, because there is not one way to, to be queer. There's not one way to look queer, you know, it comes in all different shapes, sizes and colors and forms. Right. And I think that's what was really emphasized in this scene with Jan. And I love that. Yeah, you know, and I I agree. I really do believe that is what Babbitt's intention is. And, you know, to take away some of that fear that just because, you know, someone who identifies as straight enjoys some of the things that are stereotypically queer, you know, that doesn't mean that they're less straight, you know, because, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's their sexuality, if they're attracted to the opposite sex, then, you know, enjoy softball, you know, wear your hair and clothes how you want, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, don't let heteronormative, you know, ideals dictate your life. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a great message that goes to, you know, audiences that are afraid of enjoying things just because for some reason they were stereotyped as queer and that, you know, like you were saying for queer people, you know, that there isn't one specific type of identity, Um, but, you know, I wanted to look at it from a different perspective, even though I think that really is her intention. Um, but Mm -hmm. yeah, so, you know, Jane leaves, we never, we never see her again. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, still even after RuPaul's character is like, I don't know who she thinks she's fooling. And, you know, there's this disbelief that, you know, that she's straight, but I liked looking at it and transing the the narrative here with Jan's character um Mm -hmm. you know and I think it's mostly just my like the modern interpretation of you know looking at you know transness as gender identity versus sexuality and how they were always grouped together and you know I like the idea that you know this film is making a statement that you know Jan possibly could be questioning her gender and not her sexuality. It's possible that maybe she identifies more as a man than a woman, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, this could have become a narrative where we're looking at gender and we're transing it. And, you know, I thought, you know, that would have been so revolutionary, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, 1999, 2000. And, um, you know, it's true that just because, you know, just because someone is trans, if, you know, um, they identify as a man or a woman, you know, that doesn't change their sexuality. You know, trans people can be straight, they can be queer, you know, because it doesn't mm-hmm. deal with sexuality. And that's what mm-hmm. I was really picking up in the scene mm-hmm. because, you know, Jan, she really rebukes a lot of, you know, these these idealistic perceptions of what a woman is supposed to be. And Mm -hmm. I like looking at it that way too. 
No, I, I definitely like that interpretation too. Um, especially like, cause I think that's it. I, if it was, if that was the intention and you know, if Jan was trans, I would have loved that even more because then it brings in, um, one of my other critiques of, but I'm a cheerleader where, you know, everyone is cis queer people, you know, and you, mm-hmm. we're having this conversation around gender, um, you know, and gender stereotypes and gender roles in this film. And yet we don't have representation of transgender people, Yeah, you yeah. know? So I would have really loved that um, inclusion and the way um, you're interpreting it. Yeah. So, you know, after the scene, then we see that Graham has to really protect herself and, you know, stay in the closet pretending because Mary finds a matchstick box from the cocksucker and it's under mm-hmm. Graham's bed. And so she has to make up this lie that, you know, she is starting to crush on Joel and it, it confuses Megan. And of course, we understand that she really needs to uphold this straight facade because of this threat from her, from her parents. You know, even though Graham herself is more self-assured in her identity with everyone else, she's still kind of, she's still scared of what's going to happen with her family, with her um, parents and what she's going to do if, you know, that support system, if that stability that you grew, grew to know for 12, you know, for 18 years just immediately disappears. Right. And the same thing with um, Megan, when her mom says, you know, if you don't graduate, if you don't fix yourself, uh, you are not allowed to come live with us. You are done, Um, you know. And again, um, going back to um, the therapy scene all the way in the beginning, it makes me think, you know, because we have um, Megan's parents who seem so sweet and loving and caring, um, naive, but, you know caring about Megan and then to have this kind of like twist this kind of like vitriol coming out of her mom's mouth and it makes you think is she learning this language this way to hate um from those family therapies where she's seeing those um other interactions with parents for instance like Graham's parents of um how they also threaten that if you don't fix yourself you can't come home yeah yeah you know and then we see that go forward when they have to continue to protect their identities so that Mm -hmm. they're not disowned and then they do something that honestly you know we understand but it is really unforgivable because Mm -hmm. mary you know tasks them with going to larry and lloyd's house and you know picketing their house and you know attacking one of the one of the queer teenagers that was living in the house because you know he identified you know one of them being at the cocksucker and you know we just see the lengths that you know these kids have to go to to protect themselves mm-hmm. you know and they do so by hurting others you know what was surprising to me was when Graham picked up I think the rock and like threw it at him before he can even say anything and then we see Megan kind of scolding her. And I think this is like Megan is beginning to see the hypocrisy of everything they're doing. And, you know, again, we see the scene um, of gay bashing and, you know, teaching them homophobic rhetoric. Um, you know, but after the scene, we get to the final test montage. And so the final test montage is essentially seeing 
who can pass as being straight based on their gender uh, stereotypical roles and who can't. So essentially who can clean the best, who can put on the baby's diaper the quickest and the most efficient. And on the other side, who can catch a football, right? Who can chop a log and who can fix a car, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, you know, so that's the final test before we get into step five. And in this final test, we learned that Andre fails, right? Um, he fails at being able to be straight, right? Mm-hmm. And I love Andre's snappy last message. <laughs> you know, oh, he, he, I really love how he pointed the oh, hypocrisy yeah. of the entire group. And I just loved it. Me too. Andre is one of the best characters. And I hate that we don't see him after this because he's forced to leave. And I would love to, you know, spend more time with Andre because he is one of the best characters of this film. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what, you know, I realized watching this is, you know, we're comparing this final test to, you know, teaching queer people how to pass in society. This is how you're, how you Mm -hmm. survive. And, you know, just with how we've been discussing Mary and, you know, some of the, you know, the denial that she puts herself through to believe that, you know, she can turn these kids straight, you know, I really feel Mm -hmm. like that, you know, they're not preparing these kids, you know, they don't really believe that they can turn them straight. They're just trying to prepare them on how to be in the closet their entire lives. And it's like, it's, Mm -hmm. it's like this willful understanding that there's nothing that they can do, but you know, they're going to make these kids miserable their entire lives by helping them Mm -hmm. succeed and living a closeted life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, like to me, this is why I really see it. um, You know, the, the connection it's trying to make to like AA or, you know, any addiction anonymous groups, because it's like, you know, they teach you how to cope with it mm-hmm. um, because it's never going to go away. Addiction like will always be there and it's always going to be um, so hard. And it's learning how to resist those temptations, you know, and that's how I was really starting to see how this was more like um, teaching them, especially with the final test. It's like if you can do these roles, if you can um, maintain your roles and you know, these gender roles, then you will have those temptations um, to be queer. You know, that's how I was reading it. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. I think it goes in line, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's, they really don't believe that they can really change these kids, but, you know, this is their way of coping for the rest of their lives, which, you know, it's like knowing that and, I, you would really hope that the people watching this film, if they have some belief that conversion therapy works, that, you know, they would have that understanding that, no, it doesn't change a person. It just forces mm-hmm. them to live their life, you know, without mm-hmm. their authentic truth and that they have to force themselves to act a certain way for the rest of their lives, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also want to make really clear, if we weren't clear about it, that like it's it's bad that, you know, this um it's intentionally bad making this connection to um alcohol anonymous or to any um addiction group. It's bad to make this connection between convert um to being gay to that, you know, 
I just want to, I'm not sure if we made that clear, but like, I want to oh, say yeah, it again. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. We understand that, you know, um, yeah. anonymous programs that they're really helpful, that they're necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the same thing as conversion mm-hmm. therapy, but, you know, it is important to note that when Babbitt was, you know, writing this film, that she was combining the idea of, um, you know, addiction, um, mm-hmm. addiction rehab with conversion therapy, just, and I, you know, mm-hmm. I think it was just more on playing on the themes and, you know, wielding that into the story, but you know, they're not connected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. If we weren't clear enough. Um, but you know, we get into the next, uh, scene, which is a great scene, um, where Megan and Graham celebrate that they pass the final test and they can finally move on to step five and, you know, move on to graduating and, you know, so we have Megan Graham's sex scene. You know, when we're talking about like the 90s and new queer cinema and like, you know, what we've talked in season one and what we um talked about in The Watermelon Woman, to me, this sex scene was very tame. It doesn't deserve the R rating. And, you know, their their sex scene was romantic, um, dimly lit, um, tame. And it was like kind of evoking this private moment between Graham and Megan, you know, because they're both teens. Um, so it's this really kind of like, it's this moment for Megan to just enjoy and, you know, experience this to the fullest without, you know, our prying eyes in a way. Um, so to me, that was why I think it was lit that way and why it was framed that way. But, you know, it could also been cut that way because, you know, again, I think Babbitt was trying to make this to for a more non-queer audience or to make it more appealing to like a wider audience than just like a niche group of queer yeah. lesbians. And I think a lot of it has to do with censoring too. You know, it's like the way that this was shot was, you know, there wasn't a lot of choice. But I, I really think that regardless of the intentions, I think it works perfectly for the scene. We don't need something explicit like we had received with films like The Watermelon Woman and J2ELL, you know, because, you know, these are teenagers and, you know, it's, it's this first time for Megan and it could possibly be the first time for Graham. We don't know, you know, if she had ever hooked up with that girl or, or if she had hooked up with any girls before or after that. And, you know, it's this, it's this very, you know, intimate moment and they, they really deserved that respect of, you know, not making it explicit for an audience. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And then, you know, um, then after this, you think it's all sunshine and rainbows, but instead when Megan wakes up, she has everyone staring down at her. We have Mary screaming at her, calling her, um, I think it was a hussy. And we have Sinead. Uh, Sinead is just like smiling, like I think smirking. Yeah. And like, I don't think it was, I don't remember if it was explicitly ever said that she was the one who kind of routed them out, but I feel like it was implied. Oh, yeah, definitely. Sinead, not cool. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, what happens is that Mary gives Megan an ultimatum and says, I will let you stay if you. In step five, and step five is a sexual simulation scene, and she tells Megan, if you do the sexual simulation scene with Rock, with Mm -hmm. her son, you know, and like, 
again, I think, you know, I think this is where we have a, um, Mary kind of admitting that her son is queer, that her son is gay, and that she wants, you know, Megan to be in this um, step with him to help push both of them to the final step, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, I think Megan's at this crossroads, just like, do I do the step five and, you know, like kind of, kind of pretend these feelings, this love I have for Graham um, doesn't exist? But I, do I also risk by leaving and having no place to go, right? And, you know, so we find out in the next scene, she obviously opts out. No, because then we have um, the same offer to Graham. And, you know, I think her parents, yeah, her parents are there and they're really like, like beating down on her neck. Like, they're like, what do you mean? She has an option. She has no option. She's doing it, Right. And we have her leaving and she's kind of, she's in tears and we see um, Megan with, um, with suitcases ready to go. And she's torn and upset because um, Graham isn't going with her and has decided to continue to live this life. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's really sad. And, but it's also interesting because, you know, um, from the beginning, Graham was this very confident and self-assured character in her sexuality, but yet she is still cont- um, living this lie. Yeah. You know, you can tell that in that moment when Megan decides not to go through with Rock, you know, it's like she's like, come on, your son is obviously gay. He's <laughs> dancing, listening to RuPaul. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's like, come on you know, take a look at your family, take a look in the mirror. It's like, this doesn't work. You know, this isn't right. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, in that moment, she's fueled by her love for Graham and their connection. And she believes that Graham would make the same choice. So at least they're together. And so it's so devastating because she realizes that, you know, she was so assured in their relationship and, you know, Graham was too afraid. She was too afraid of, you know, being disowned and you know Megan leaves and she goes to Larry and Lloyd's house and she's there to you know find a safe haven and Graham is there and it's time for the sexual simulation scenes which I know we have a lot of thoughts on this so what are your thoughts on the sexual simulation scenes it was so awkward. First of all, they're in like these nude bodysuits and like the guys are just having a leaf covering their privates where as girls are wearing like flowers, mm-hmm. right? One, it was awkward, to, especially to have um, Rock um, being directed by his mom to like, you know, go in, do this to her, show her, um, you know, what it's like to um, be with a man and what it's like to be with a woman, like she's directing them like a director in a way. Yeah, it was like the final step to being able to be in the closet and have sex with a partner that you're not actually sexually attracted to. And, you know, this scene always makes me think Mm -hmm. of the family therapy scene and how, you know, serious and, you know, unfunny it was. And this scene makes me feel the same way. It leaves me very cold and uncomfortable. And, you know, it's, I I really pick up on how scared and confused these kids are because, you know, they know that this is not like, 
you know, this would be so scary to go through this and think, is this what I'm going to have to do? And, you know, it's reiterated when Rock is performing, pretending to have sex with Graham, and you just see Graham's face, and she's laying there under him, and she just looks so dead. Her eyes are dead. There's no emotion. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. it's not funny. There's nothing funny about the scene because it's scary. It's sad. You know, it's, it's very heartbreaking, and it's something that a lot of people have experienced and felt. And it's, it's just a reminder of how harmful and dangerous this type of, mm-hmm. you know, this type of, you know, behavior is to put on mm-hmm. anyone who is dealing with their identity and their sexuality and putting them through this process. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I definitely agree with um, how this scene makes you feel cold. It's a very clinical kind of approach to mm-hmm. what sex is supposed to be with the way how Mary's directing it. And I find it interesting because I think, you know, I think there was one line that Mary says where she's like, um, it's just sex. Sex is beautiful. And, you know, you should embrace it. And I found that so ironic for her to be saying that, you know, and then at the same time, you know, spewing hate towards, you know, queer people. And then also like, she makes this comment about like when Joel kind of like, raises his hand it's like what about foreplay and then like mary's like no foreplay foreplays are for sissies um a real man she's like a real man just drops it in unloads and gets out you know (laughs) yeah so i definitely concur with you of how like the scene just like the approach to how it was seeing sexuality to be very clinical yeah yeah, that's, that's the right way to put it because it is, you know, she's just instructing them like a, you know, a surgeon ordering, you know, one of their residents or something like that, you know, you have to mm-hmm. make this move here. This is what you're supposed to do. Everything is just so stilted and dead and mm-hmm. there's no life to it, um, which is the opposite of what we find where Megan is staying with Larry and Lloyd. You know, we go into their house and you know i i love the, the the contrast of this set design with true directions which is very cold and sanitary and gender binary and you know lloyd and larry's house you know it's very eclectic it's very colorful we see pride everywhere and it, it was just a complete 180 from what we get at true directions and you know it's it's very it's very, um, I, I love the dynamic between Larry and Lloyd because, you know, they're so passionate, you know, there's a lot of passion, you know, with how they act with each other, how much they care about each other and the kids. And it, it's just the opposite of what we're getting at True Directions. You know, this is actually a healthy environment for mm-hmm. kids to discover themselves and, you know, even when they're fighting Larry and Lloyd, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very civil. It's very healthy. It's adorable when yeah. Lloyd calls Larry, Larry Bear. And, you know, it's the type of environment that you, you know, you want to see someone grow inside of. And, you know, I know that this, you know, these scenes with Larry and Lloyd when Megan's there, um, you know, they touched you also. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd like to hear about that. Mm-hmm. They definitely touched me also because we learned that Dante has been, uh, or Dolph has been staying with them the whole entire time. 
And yeah, and I was just very happy to see um Dante Bosco again. Um but the scene at the house where you know where Megan is seeing a healthy relationship and it made me soft because again going back to when they're fighting um they're getting both both Dolph and Megan are getting a real representation of what it's like to be a healthy queer couple and I also think it was the audience you know because again I think the intended audience for this was for young queers and you know for maybe non-queers the intended audience you know uh, to show them that this is what a couple looks like they fight just like at any other couple um they have you know disagreements but they love each other and they care about they you know they have kids in a way of their own because you know they essentially adopted um Megan and Dolph right and I thought that was a really great scene to show you know and it, yeah and again it was just it made me happy because if to have you know a queer community to look out for each other because there's a lot of you know there's a lot of kids who get kicked out of their homes and they get sent to the streets um they have nowhere to turn so like again it it was really it made me soft just knowing again for queer um you know older queers looking out for the younger queers and that's what we should still be doing you know no matter how old we get we should still be looking out for the younger queers because i don't think homophobia you know um will ever go away like not in our lifetime at least Sadly, I agree with that. And I agree with that sentiment. And it's great to see them, you know, having this type of open environment. And there's a very important line where, you know, Megan asked them, she wants help. She wants to know how to be a lesbian. And Mm -hmm. they're like, we can't help you with that, which I'm glad, you know, they said that because they're two, you know, gay men, you know, they, you know, they shouldn't be offering any type of Mm -hmm. identity advice to a woman. But, you know, it's like, what is so important is that they say there isn't one right way to be a lesbian, you know, and I know Mm -hmm. this is something that you had mentioned before and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the type of open environment where one can really explore their identity and feel safe to do that. And now, you know, I can be a cheerleader and a lesbian, you know, it doesn't, my sexuality doesn't change who I am. And there are different ways for me to express that, you know, the multitudes of, you know, my existence, and I, I really love that line, that sentiment, because it offers that, you know, open environment that is what is needed for a queer person, someone with a queer identity to grow successfully and love themselves. But also because, you know, it goes back to, you know, the thesis of this film that, you know, there isn't, you know, gender constructs, gender construction exist, and there isn't one specific way to be a lesbian. There isn't one stereotype. And I think it was perfectly echoed in that response to her question. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, you know, it's like throughout this whole entire film, we have the satire of them at the conversion therapy camp. But I think we have this really um, real and emotional moment um, at Larry and Lloyd's house. Um, and again, I think what what I love, um, because Dolph and Megan kind of reformed their bond, you know, I love seeing queer people support each other. Okay. I just love it. And, yeah. you know, and so we have them basically devise a plan because, you know, um, Megan confesses to Dolph where it's like, I'm just so sad because I want her here with me. I'm sad she didn't come with me. And, you know, Dolph yeah. keeps saying, um, she's scared. She's scared, you know, you know, kind of like forget about her. And then she's like, is this how you, f- is that what happened with you and Clayton? And he's like, Clayton's like, whatever. 
right? And then, but mm-hmm. essentially, we get cut to the next scene where you know Dolph is helping Megan to kind of crash the graduation, right? Because we learned that you know um, everyone passed step five and now they're graduating, right? And so we have it's it's like a graduation ceremony, and you know as um, Mary calls up one by one each uh, student, they are given this trophy diploma of a heterosexual couple um being handed to them and mm-hmm. sit back and they sit, sit back down um but then we also learn that clayton um has disappeared and mary sees him running off with uh Dolph. you know and, and, and i thought that was cute yeah um but then you know we have the scene where the iconic scene of megan walking in her cheerleading outfit and doing this cute cheer that i wish i could recite but i can't recite right now um and basically confessing her love to graham you know and you know when graham kind of just stands there um doesn't say anything and i think like uh, what was the scene like was she being chased is that why um megan started running away yeah because mary came down and she's like megan stop this this instant (laughs) oh yeah she just runs away (laughs) Mm mm-hmm yeah, and so she like runs away. Um, she gets uh um into the back of the truck um where where Dolph and Clayton are driving. And then we have, you know, you think this is just the end of the movie and it's just gonna be that bittersweet ending, but instead, you know, um the happy ending, the rom-com happy ending plays through where we see um where we see Graham running in her pink dress running and jumping into the truck bed and then, you know, kissing Megan and it's a happy ending you know it's happily ever after they kiss and they drive away into the sunset to their life together you know it's it's a happy ending even though you know life after the credits might not always be that perfect but I I I thought I love that ending it was happy yeah no I I absolutely loved this ending you know it was so deserved you know we get to see them go off into the sunset it's the perfect ending to a rom-com and it's, it's something that we don't get a lot in queer films, this happy ending, you know, especially not at that time. And, you know, it's what we, we really needed and it's what we wanted. It's what we craved and we finally got it. And I just have to say that that cheer scene where Megan is making her big gesture to convince Graham that, you know, they're brave enough to be together and they can face the world together because they love each other. You know, it's, it's a little cheesy, her, her cheer, but it chokes me up every time, you know, it, it just warms me and I, I love her little cheer and it's, it's the ending that was rightfully deserved. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And you know, what I love is that if you stay a few seconds after the credits, we see a snippet of Megan's parent, essentially at a P flag meeting. Again, and it made me soft um, just because we have Megan's dad who goes up and it's like, hello, everyone. Um, I'm a father of a daughter who is a lesbian. And then we get kind of to the shot where we see um, Megan's mom, who's kind of like hiding herself and looking down in shame. Uh-huh. Well, it's just it's so funny because, you know, we're we're talk about the nods to John Waters with, you know, the campy elements and, you know, the campy production design and costuming. And, you know, Ming Stoll, she's been in so many of John Waters films. And, you know, it's just it's so funny because, you know, 
we know that Ming Stoll is obviously an ally. I, I'm not sure what, if she's queer or not, but, you know, she is honorary queer, you know, for her involvement in John Waters films. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so funny to see her play this, you know, conservative, mean parent by the end who's, you know, a little ashamed of being at this flag meeting. And it's like, you know, you can't hide your face. It's like, you're a John Waters darling. You can't fool us. It's like, we know you're an ally. So, <laughs> you know, it was just, it, it was really funny. And, you know, I think it gives us a lot of hope watching that little post credit scene because we have this idea that, you know, Megan's parents can change and that Megan and Graham can, you know, spend time with Megan's parents and they can actually reconnect and have a healthy relationship. And it's, it's very helpful what we hope to see you know, parents who are not, you know, open to the queerness of their children to, you know, find acceptance and find the love that they have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, again, just reiterate your point, they, they essentially like they move from one negative toxic parent group to a positive and uh, hopefully a really healing um, parent group for them to learn how to accept and love their daughter. And but yeah, um, that's the end of But I'm a Cheerleader. But I'm a Cheerleader, it offers an incisive deconstruction of gender, gender roles and sexuality, while offering a queer romance between two characters played by two queer women. With this film, we see positive, authentic representation of queer women brought into the mainstream, allowing increased viewing of films depicting these themes for a large audience. But I'm a cheerleader has helped shape the content of queer women that we see in the mainstream today. We can accurately say that this 2000 year film started off the new century in the best way possible. Thank you so much for joining us and definitely stay tuned for our next episode of one of my favorite queer films, Saving Face by Alice Wu. Stay safe and stay queer.